Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Every second, 1.8 human beings die. Time waits for no man. Just a thought, just a thought this Lenten season, we've, as we've entered Holy Week, Jesus 911, two-man car, <clears throat> Jess Romero, Paul Clay, the week that changed the world, Holy Week. And it's interesting, Paul, uh, the way 2,000 years ago, our blessed Lord went through his cruel passion starting this week, and the tradition of the church is, is that, uh, that uh, Judas betrayed our Lord on a Wednesday in his heart, and that's why... Uh, that's why we ha- we give we put ashes on Wednesdays because of that tradition. But it's interesting, also, Paul. In our country, we see our country seems to be going through a passion as well, and it's being highlighted with the former president this week being indicted and being brought up on charges. And and talk about uh, dividing the country even more. Boy, oh boy, the United States is going through its passion week right now. And I just hope. Uh, people embrace the cross of Christ because without embracing the cross of Christ radically, you're not going to make it till Easter Sunday. Paul, comments? Jess, you said a mouthful right there. And uh, I didn't even make that uh, connection between what the country's going through and, uh, you know, these trumped up, uh, pun intended, (laughs) charges, (laughs) you know. But uh, again, uh, again, uh, similar these uh, these charges are politically motivated, right? And uh, uh, like our Lord's charges were politically motivated. That's the point I'm making. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. <laughs> now, interesting. Now, 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 you're gonna have people out there listening saying, "Oh, don't tell me you're trying to compare Donald Trump with our Lord." No, I'm not. But the bottom line are, you can look for things and you can see similar um, analogies, um, right? There's by way of yes. analogy, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> right. None of us are Jesus. He, he's perfect. Yeah. He's God. He's our Savior. But uh, doesn't mean that doesn't mean that some of the baptized uh, in the world aren't going to go through similar betrayals, similar persecutions. Uh, hmm. Yeah. So hey, we, I want to talk about uh, what one of the great voices of the church is saying today. Archbishop Vigano, he just uh, put out an article. It's called "Just as Jesus was betrayed by his disciples." So the church is betrayed by her ministers. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. May the contemplation of the passion of Christ and of his mystical body rouse us, rouse us from our, our torpor, snatch us from the slavery of sin and spur us on the heroism of holiness. I love that heroism of holiness that the blood poured out for us does not fall upon us as a condemnation but as a salutary font that confers grace. Yeah, that's what's interesting, Paul. The blood of Jesus, according to St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, his blood is either going to be to your damnation or it's going to be to your salvation. And Amen. It, it depends how you approach him. Uh, if you're in a state of mortal sin and you spurn the Eucharist, we're talking about Catholics right now, uh, the, the Holy Eucharist will be your condemnation. It will be your judgment. It will be your death sentence. Yes. But yes, if, you, if, yes. if you receive the Holy Eucharist in a state of sanctifying grace in friendship with God with a clean and pure heart, the Holy Eucharist will be your medicine of immortality. Well, you can imagine, Jess. I mean, sacred scripture tells us that just by natural law, men are without excuse. 
how much more so when God has given us his very life, his, his very body, his very blood to sustain us and to uh, empower us to become uh, faithful sons of God. And if we neglect so great a salvation, mm. <laughs> we deserve everything we get. <laughs> yeah. That's it. That's it. So uh, the great Archbishop Vigano, here's a couple of thoughts that he put on paper. He says, uh, you are the king of Israel, the noble lineage of David. In the solemn words of the ancient hymn to Christ the King, we find the Holy Church identified with Israel, the people of God, with the chosen people. The Hebrew people came to meet you with palms. Behold, we too stand before you with prayers, vows, and songs. It should arouse dismay that the triumph of Christ who was welcomed into Jerusalem as the son of David and greeted as he comes in the name of the Lord could have changed in just a few hours into the violent uproar of the crowd standing outside the praetorium into shouts and insults into the torments of the passion and finally into the death of the king of the Jews on the wood of the cross. A dismay that comes from the consideration of how changeable the crowd is in its propensity to allow itself to be manipulated by the Sanhedrin and by the elders of the people in its ease and forgetting as if it never happened. The tribute of honors, the olive and palm branches and garments spread out along the road for the passage of the Lord. Paul, it reminds me of Americans. Americans are so easily fooled and they change their minds. You know, yes. they, are, they, are, yes. they, are, they are just uh, controlled by fear. Fear, yes. oh, yeah, the jab, the the the, the virus, uh, yeah. lockdowns. Uh, oh no, the end, of the World War Three. The, the the left woke left controls Americans by fear, and they manipulate them just like the Sanhedrin manipulated the Jews against Christ. Yes, yes, and uh, uh, it's the mob mentality, and uh, you know, like there's that other similarity. We can see it, you know, not unlike what's going on today. Um, let me continue on with the article here. Yep, yep. We do not know if among... <clears throat> okay, Jess, you're going to have to help me with this that one. That means children, children of the Hebrews. That's a Hebrew word. Children of the Hebrews, yeah. Okay. Uh, among the children of the Hebrews, there were also those who later mocked the Savior as he was dying on the cross. But we know that they were Jews just as the high priests the scribes, the temple guards were Jews, as well as those who cried out, crucify him, as Jesus stood before them, scourged and crowned with thorns. And the apostles who fled were Jews, just as Simon Peter, who denied Christ three times, was a Jew. The pious women who wept over him were Jews. Mm -hmm. Simon of Cyrene was a Jew. Joseph of Arimathea was a Jew. But if part of the Jewish people, despite the prophecies of God, God's interventions under the old law came to put the promised Messiah to death. We should ask ourselves if this betrayal could not be repeated in a part of the new Israel, the church. When we see, yeah, when we see Catholic faithful and even members of the hierarchy who like the Pharisees and the leaders of the Sanhedrin in Christ's time, still today cry out, they're crucify, yeah, yeah, Crucifying. or repeat Saint Peter's. Uh, I do not know the man, mm. uh, yeah. The people 
not in the Latin sense of populus, a society that gives its laws and uh, uh, that gives itself laws and observes them, but rather in a sense of vulgus, that is a people without identity who have no awareness of rights and duties, who are maneuverable, unaware of what their heritage and destiny is, uh, insensible to the sacred. They profane. If we, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Okay. Go ahead and pick it up, Jess. If we look at what is happening in the church, at the crisis that afflicts her, at the apostasy that corrupts the hierarchy and the faithful, the events of Palm Sunday seem forgotten. While living right before our eyes, we see the horrors of the passion and crucifixion. The church, which in the past celebrated the triumphs of Christ and preached his gospel, today seems to have been eclipsed by the Sanhedrin, which accuses the Son of God of blasphemy, and by the high priests who call for his death. The society, which which once was Christian, now shouts its, take him away, take him away, spits on the face of the Savior, mocks his tormentors, and calls for his cancellation. Today's scribes and Pharisees seem determined to place guards to watch over the sepulcher in which the church lies, as if to avert her resurrection, which would expose them as liars. The very disciples of the Lord hide. Reminds me of our, uh, of our bishops, most of them. And deny ever having known him in order not to be excluded and marginalized, in order not to appear to go against the stream, in order not to contradict the powerful. And at the same time, many pious women, many Cyrenians, many Josephs of Arimathea, mocked and insulted, helped the church to carry her cross, remained at her feet with the Virgin Mary and St. John, seeking a place in which to lay that mystical body awaiting its resurrection. Here's an important point, Paul, I want to make. All of us, we have a decision to make, especially during Passion Week as Christians. It's tough being, a, uh, it's tough being an authentic Catholic Christian today. I get that. Indeed. Ask Mark, ask Mark Houck. Ask Archbishop Vigano. I get that. But mm-hmm. you know what? We have one or two choices. We either stand there with Our Lady, St. Mary Magdalene, John the, John the Apostle, at the foot of the cross, and we grind it out, and we wait for the resurrection, which will come, or we can run with the other 11 apostles and hide. Mm. And, then, yes. and, and yes. then for the rest of our life, be tormented in our minds that we, that we ran away from Jesus. We walked yeah. away from him. Yes, yeah, some of them even hanging themselves as Judas did. You know, I, uh, Jess, you know, um, it's kind of interesting. If we really look at what was going on, the establishment, and, and here we're talking, when I say the establishment, yes, there was the world, you know, run by Caesar, you know, but there was the, the, there was the church hierarchy, the church establishment that was in league with them. And, and again, it would have been, can, you can only imagine uh, what they might have said to the faithful of Jesus at the time. Uh, oh, no. Um, you know, this is what, uh, you know, Caiaphas says. This is what uh, Annas says. This is what Rabbi so-and-so says. And uh, you guys are, uh, you need to, uh, you know, uh, get in line and do the right thing rather than follow this, uh, you know, uh, uh, this uh, Jesus who's uh, disobedient. We'll be right back. Hard break. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. By the way, the month of April, and just to remind you by way of reminder, is dedicated to both devotion to the Holy Eucharist and also devotion to the Holy Spirit. So it's a very powerful month in Catholicism. This tradition has developed because Easter Sunday often falls in April. And in essence, April is a month of Easter. And so during the Easter celebration, we remember the that Christ gave us the holy sacrifice of the Mass at the Last Supper. We also remember the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, yes. to make us fishes of men. We call this Pentecost, which came shortly after Jesus' resurrection. So in the tradition of the church, uh, April is dedicated to the Holy Eucharist. Go to Mass as often as possible. Go visit our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament as often as possible. We're talking about one of the clergy that's in the catacombs today, Archbishop Vigano. He's one of the catacomb leaders. And he's talking about the passion of Christ, and he's making an analogy to the passion of the church right now. He says, today's betrayal is no less serious than what our Lord had to suffer. The Passio Ecclesia, passion of the church, is not less sorrowful than that of her head. The desolation and discouragement of those who contemplate the Domina Gentium, that means Our Lady of the Nations, exposed to dishonor from her very own ministers, is no less harrowing than the suffering of the Mater Dolorosa, Our Lady of Sorrows. The hatred that moved the executioners then is the same hatred that moves today's executioners and the love of the good Jews who recognize the Messiah then is the same as the love of the good Christians who see his agony still perpetuated today. He writes, Vigano writes, I freed you from the slavery in Egypt and you have repaid your Savior by crucifying him. Mm. We sing in the reproaches. I gave you in the Mass and you have replaced it with a rite that dishonors me and drives away the faithful. I gave you the priesthood and you profane it with heretical and fornicating ministers. I made you steadfast against your enemies and you throw open the doors of the citadel, run towards your enemies and honor them while they prepare to destroy you. I taught you the truths of the faith and you adulterate them or keep silent about them in order to please the world. I showed you the royal road of Calvary and you follow the path of perdition of pleasures and perversion. Paul, you want to pick it up? Wow. <laughs> he sounds like Isaiah or somebody. I you know. Know. He does. Yeah, he Jeremiah. Does. Yeah. Populae meus quid feci tibi, out in quo contrivistavi uh, contri te responde mihi. Mihi, okay. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I offended you? Answer me. Wow. Are not these words applicable to so many Catholics, to so many prelates, to so many souls to whom the Lord, as he did to the Hebrew people, has shown his ardent love thousands and thousands of times? Should we not tremble at the mere thought of being able to be accomplices in the betrayal of Christ and his church, which perpetuates Christ's unbloody sacrifice on our altars. She who, she who is the ministress and 
dispensatrix of his infinite merits until the end of the world. She who is the witness of his miracles, the preacherness of his word, and the guardian of his truth. He's making the connection that the church is all these things, is that the grace of Jesus Christ that flows from Calvary is ministered by the church, dispensed by the church, and preached by the church. And so he's making that very strong connection between Christ and the church. Christ is always faithful, though, and the church is called to be faithful, but many of our prelates today are faithless, even though he's always faithful. And Jess, I'll just connect the, make the parallel between ancient Israel and the new Israel of God, the church. Ancient Israel was disobedient. And if you, if you, if you just go and, and listen to what St. Stephen said to the Sanhedrin, he takes them down memory lane and he shows them how they were always a stiff-necked people, always resisting God. And it's unfortunate, but it seems like the uh, uh uh, the, the new Israel, the, the new, the new is, Israel, the new Israel of God has essentially, Church. yes, has essentially the followed path. the same path. Yes, indeed. I would say at least yeah. in the last 200 years, at least in modern times, I would say without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> let, let us yeah, meditate, dear. Fr- let us meditate, dear friends, on where our Im- immortal soul is placed in this ferocious battle that shakes the world, even to its foundations, whether we are among the scoundrels torturing the most sacred flesh of the Redeemer, or if we instead make our hearts available to welcome that adorable body, whether we tear our garments at the proclamation of his divinity, or instead bow down like the centurion before the Savior who dies for us, whether we are among those who incite the mob against the Son of God, or instead among those who bear witness of his glorious resurrection. Hmm. Because this soul of ours, for which our Lord has shed his blood and given his life, shall remain immortal, either in the eternal bliss of paradise or in the eternal torment of hell. May the contemplation of the passion of Christ and his mystical body rouse us from our torpor snatch us from the slavery of sin and spur us on to her- to the heroism of holiness that the blood poured out for us not fall on us as a condemnation but a salutary font that confers grace and so it may be carlo maria vigano archbishop amen you know, jess jess yeah the, uh, again the blood paul the blood of jesus like you just said here at the end it's either going to be unto our salvation or unto our damnation. That's remember, right. remember the unbelieving Jews. They 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 brought a curse upon themselves when they told when they told our Lord, His blood be on us and on our children. What were they doing yeah. when they said that? They were drawing a curse, a covenant curse upon themselves yes. because they were, they were rejecting the only sacrifice that was able to save men's sins. The yes. blood of bulls and goats cannot save anybody's sins, cannot save you, cannot give you sanctifying grace and get you to heaven. The only blood that can do that is the blood of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity who became the God-man. Yeah, Jess, there's a choice, that, and the choice is laid out. You know, it's just the same thing Joshua said, you know, choose you this day who you will serve. You know, Jess, there's one path, 
to uh, to the left and there's a path to the right. Uh, the path to the right is the path left less traveled. The path to the right is the narrow path, the more arduous path. But the one to the left, oh, it seems good. It seems like it uh, uh, it's going to uh, bring you uh, a, a good result, a happy ending. But that's the big deception. And that's the lie. That's the road that leads to death. As I always quote, there's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to death. Let us follow the way of God. Let us obey our Savior and our Master. And also, let's not forget that this week as Catholics, let's make sure that we we enter uh, into more meditative and contempl- contemplative prayer yes. throughout the week. Yes. This, this is a week not to be... Uh, Again, playing loud music, you know, uh, you know, watching, uh, you know, sports and entertainment. This is a solemn week. It's and uh, Lent ends on on Wednesday. On Thursday, we enter into what's called the sacred triduum. Triduum means it's it's a Thursday, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and uh, Holy Saturday. That's called the sacred triduum. So that's its own liturgical feast right there. And those are the three days when we really start commemorating and start meditating upon the, the passion. And, and of course, it reminds me of the prophet Isaiah when he says about our Lord, yet it was our infirmities that he bore, our sufferings that he endured. Think about those week, those, those words, this holy week. I hope and pray that you all enter into the mystery of the passion of Christ and, and uh, what I'm going to do this week, I'm going to sit down with my family. I already told them we're going to sit down and watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ. This is a movie I want my family to watch every year. I, I know uh, it's uncomfortable for them, but it's, it's a retreat. It's a meditative retreat on the passion of Christ's suffering. And uh, I, I just don't want my family and my in-laws and my grandkids to forget what Christ did for us 2,000 years ago and how he wrought for us so great a salvation. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people want to forget and just talk about the risen Christ. And uh, in, in Protestantism, in fact, that, that's a staple yeah. of Protestantism. It's just uh, yes. the, the cross without the crucifix. They, yes. they, 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 do want, they want nothing to do with the crucifix. Yeah, guess what? Vampires don't want anything to do with the crucifix either. Neither does Dracula or Frankenstein. <laughs> you know? yeah. Monsters you know? don't want anything to do with the crucifix. Because Paul says, I proclaim Christ crucified. That's what he proclaimed, which is folly to the Jews, and it is, and it is foolishness to the, to the Gentiles. Yes. Let me, if I may, read yes. something out of, out of the great Dr. Scott Hahn's book, First Comes Love. And, th- and this is what he writes, and this is concerning the great privilege we have with our Eucharistic Lord. Uh, St. Paul reports that at, that at the meal, Jesus commanded his disciples to do this, to mark the covenant in the same way. He had in remembrance of me. The Greek word that is translated here as remembrance carries much stronger connotations in ancient Hebrew culture. Given their original force, Paul's words invoke a recalling, not a remembering, but a reactualizing, a representing. This meal is unmistakably the real presence of Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Uh, he says, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the, 
uh, uh, in the body of Christ. The other one is, is it not the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Uh, uh, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthily fashion, eats and drinks, uh, he will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. And anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment up, uh, unto himself. Jess, dis discerning is, is uh, you know, that's when we're uh, perceiving something that's, uh, 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 what are we, you know, with that spirit of discernment, what is it that we're discerning? The fact that when we drink and eat from the table of the Lord, we are, he is literally giving us his body and blood to course through our veins. He is truly making us, uh, you know, uh, incorporating us into his own body. And we are truly the bride of Christ at that point, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and the two shall become one. This is the privilege that we have with, with, with the Holy Eucharist. With, uh, uh, and this is something that is unique to the Catholic Church and only the Catholic Church. Jesus 911, we'll be right back. We'll, we're gonna be talking about the Stations of the Cross up next. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, Dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, two-man car. Paul just reminded me of a of a, of a movie that I've, I've watched several times. It's called The Robe. It came out in 1953. Very famous Catholic Christian movie with, uh, it had some A-list actors at the time. Victor Mature, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Richard Burton. Uh, Victor Jesus Mature. Uh, yeah, Victor Mature. And uh, the movie was about, it was about the other Roman soldier at the foot of the cross. It wasn't St. Longinus, the one that stuck our Lord with the spear. It was the other one who wins a toss, uh, a toss of dice and takes home the robe of Christ. And so the robe of Christ was haunting him. He would be having like demonic manifestations when, uh, when he was an unbeliever. Once he became a believer, the robe became like a source of, of, of consolation and power. And it gave him mm -hmm. spiritual consolation. That's the way it is at the Holy Eucharist, Paul. Mm -hmm. when, uh, when Richard Burton was an unbeliever, the robe, it, it, it caused him nightmares. He was, he, was, uh, he was actually horrified. He had an aversion yeah. to it. It would, it would cause yes. him pain. Yes. But once he became a believer, it yes. became a source of strength. And and yes. uh, that's exactly the way, by way of analogy, that's, I think, that we're, we're trying to impart. That's the way the Holy Eucharist is to us. If you're an unbelieving Catholic in mortal sin, it's a, it's, it's a curse to you. Yeah. But if you're a believing Catholic in a state of grace, it's, it's the source of, 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 uh, of everlasting joy. Yes, yes. There is no rest for the wicked. Yes, that's what sacred scripture tells us. And, uh, you know, God's got, you know, he, you know, in his love, in all his love, he says, you know, um, 
you know, come to me, all you who are weary. He, you know, there's a call. God wants to bring us comfort. But if we won't accept it, if we refuse to, to come to God and to, uh, uh, you know, uh, respond to his loving kindness and his goodness that he's extended to us, uh, then then there's no other alternative. We must look at him as judge because the one thing about God is he is just and uh, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the, how the Stations of the Cross begun. This is one of the devotions in every single Catholic parish. It should be, especially during Lent, is the Stations of the Cross. And since Lent is a penitential season of preparation for Easter, the Stations of the Cross, which follow the path of Christ, from Pontius Pilate's Praetorium to Christ's tomb, have been a popular devotion in parishes and in the 16th century, this pathway was officially entitled the Via Dolorosa, or the Sorrowful Way, or simply the Way of the Cross, or Stations of the Cross. This devotion has evolved over time. Tradition holds that our Blessed Mother visited daily the scenes of our Lord's Passion. And after the Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity in the year 312, this pathway was marked with its important stations. St. Jerome, father of the church who died in 420 AD, living in Bethlehem during the later part of his life, attested to the crowds of pilgrims from various countries who visited those holy places and followed the way of the cross. Interestingly, St. Sylvia, in her peregrination uh, to, to the holy city back in 380 AD, in which she described in great detail various religious practices, she did not mention a particular practice or set of prayers for following the stations. However, this omission does not entail that pilgrims did not, in fact, follow the way of the cross. Paul, you want to pick it up? Yeah. Actually, the devotion continued to grow in popularity. In the 5th century, an interest developed in the church to reproduce the holy places in other areas, so uh, pilgrims could not only actually travel to the uh, so pilgrims who could not actually travel to the Holy Land could do so in a devotional, spiritual way in their hearts. For instance, Saint Pet Pet Petronius, Bishop of uh, Bologna, uh, constructed a group of chapels at the monastery of San Stefano, which depicted the more important shrines of the Holy Land, including several of the stations. The same notion inspired the building of the Franciscan Monastery in Washington, where one can visit and see reproductions of the Bethlehem Chapel, the Tomb of Our Lord, and other important shrines in the Holy Land. In 1342, the Franciscans were appointed as guardians of the shrines of the Holy Land. The faithful received indulgences for praying at the following stations, at Pilate's house, where Christ met his mother, where he spoke to the women, where he met Simon of Cyrene, where the soldiers stripped him of his garments, and where he was nailed to the cross and at his tomb. Go ahead, Paul. Okay. William Way, an English pilgrim, visited the Holy Land in 1462 and is credited with the term stations. 
He described the manner in which the pilgrims followed the steps of Christ. Prior to this time, the path usually followed the reverse course of ours today, moving from Mount Calvary to Pilate's house. At this time, the reverse going from Pilate's house to Calvary seems to have taken hold. When the Muslim Turks blocked the access to the Holy Land, reproductions of the stations were erected at popular spiritual centers, including the Dominican Friary at Cordova and Poor Clare Convent at Messina, early 1400s, and Nuremberg, uh, Louvain, Bamberg, uh, Fiburg, and Rhodes. There's just a lot of uh, places. Yeah. Uh, many, many of these stations were reproduced by renowned artists and are considered masterpieces today. By 1587, Zalardo reported that the Muslims forbade anyone to make any halt nor to pay veneration to the stations uh, with uncovered head, nor to make any other demonstration, basically suppressing the devotion in the Holy Land. Nevertheless, the devotion continued to grow in popularity in Europe. So let me this just... This is what I like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so... This, this is one of the beautiful things, if you notice, every single Catholic church has the 14 stations of the cross. The reason we do is because the, a, a very holy pope, and you'll see it, it's in the next paragraph, when the Muslims took over the Holy Land during the Crusades, then they took over Jerusalem, they forbade the tourists, the Catholic tourists from going over there and praying the, the stations of the cross, the cross in Jerusalem. And so what the Muslims did, since they forbid us any pilgrimages when they took over the Holy Land, the Pope at the time says, okay, and the Muslims uh, don't uh, allow Jerusalem to be uh, visited by Catholics, then Jerusalem will visit the entire Catholic Church. So that's when the Pope told every single pastor and bishop, I want stations of the cross in every single Catholic Church. So when you go to your parish and you see the Stations of the Cross, this was done by a very holy Pope because the Muslims forbade us to go to our land when they took mm -hmm. it over during one of the Crusades. You know, you know Jess, and here's the, here's the ironic thing behind that. According to Islam, they consider Jesus a prophet. So why, you know, so, so, so why, you know, uh, would they try to prohibit his followers from uh, uh, obviously, you know, uh, following the Stations of the Cross uh, to demonstrate, you know, uh, 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 not to demonstrate, but to uh, relive, per se, you know, his passion. Yeah. Why would they forbade that? You know, if they believed he was a prophet and if they believed that, you know, his his crucifixion was unjust. Um, I, I, I don't understand that, but it just goes to show you that uh, the darkness always fears the light and it always tries to suppress the truth. Here's something interesting. I just want to mention kind of as a side note that um, <clears throat> the Muslims, they had a, they had a very healthy respect for St. Francis of Assisi. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at, I'm trying to look for the word file that I have, but, uh, St. Francis of Assisi, his goal was to evangelize the Muslims and die evangelizing them. And the Sultan at the time, Francis of Assisi actually told him, I mean, there, there was no, uh, he, he didn't, there was none of this, uh, you know, 
feel-good ecumenism in, in his lips. I'm going to find his, uh, the actual quote from St. Francis, what he told the Sultan. But he basically told him, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you will, you will all die in your sins. Francis of Assisi was by himself. The Sultan had about a thousand soldiers to the right, to the left of him. He was surrounded by a bunch of tigers in chains and lions in chains. And he looked at St. Francis by himself, telling him, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins. The Sultan could have had him killed easily. He, the Sultan was holding 14 lions on chains, and he had 2,000 soldiers around him. The Sultan was so impressed with this man's courage and fidelity to the gospel that he, he told his, his people, stand down, don't kill him. Uh, there's something about this man that intrigues me. And this is why to this very day, guess who the Muslims put in charge of all the sites in the Holy Land? The Franciscans. Why? When you go to the Holy Land, only Franciscans are the gatekeepers of all the Holy Land sites. Why? Because the Muslims during the Crusades had so much respect for St. Francis of Assisi's zeal for the gospel of Jesus Christ and his no-nonsense preaching that they said, you know what, we may not agree with St. Francis of Assisi, but we love his zeal and his passion. It's just like ours. And so they've allowed, they've allowed the Franciscans for centuries now to be the guardians of the, of the sites in the Holy Land. Yeah, just a little, and, uh, little sidebar. And as memory serves me correct, Jess, I believe that St. Francis, he used to ransom himself, uh, you know, in order to like as like a prisoner exchange. Uh, and while he was there, he took advantage of, you know, uh, preaching Christ to the Muslims. So, so essentially, if you were taken prisoner, it was kind of like the Trinitarians, the group, you know, they would, uh, it was a group of uh, Catholic priests that would uh, allow themselves to be exchanged for uh, for prisoners that had been taken, and while they were there, of course, taking full advantage of uh, representing our Lord and doing the work of the evangelist. That's right. They were called the the, the Merced, Mercedarians and the Trinitarians. They were both uh, groups that would give themselves as as prisoners to redeem uh, Catholics and and set them free. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. For those of you that think that St. Francis of Assisi was some uh, pacifistic, proto, you know, middle, 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 yeah, middle ages hippie, nothing could be further from the truth. First of all, St. Francis, the real St. Francis of Assisi, uh, he supported the Crusades. Those were the, those, were those uh, self-defensive wars against the Muslim, Muslim invaders by Catholic laymen called the Holy League. These are volunteer Catholic armies called the Holy League. And, he, he, uh, and here's what one of his conversations with the Sultan, the Sultan Malek el-Kamel, the brother of the, of the late Saladin, the, one of the great uh, generals of Islam. Here's what St. Francis of Assisi told him to his face as he's, St. Francis is by himself, the Sultan is with his army and tigers and lions around him in chains. Here's what St. Francis tells him, quote, If you do not wish to believe, Sultan, we will commend your soul to God because we declare that if you die while holding to your law, Sharia law, 
you will be lost. God will not accept your soul. So then the Sultan, he tried to quote the Bible against St. Francis. He tried to quote Matthew chapter 5. He says, well, hey, weren't weren't you taught, Francis, to turn the other cheek? And here's what St. Francis answered the Sultan. St. Francis told the Sultan, quoted our Lord's words, taken from the same discourse in Matthew chapter 5. St. Francis told the Sultan, yes, our Lord also taught us, if thy right eye scandalizeth thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. Then St. Francis explained to the Sultan, he said this, Here, Jesus wanted to teach us that every man, however dear and close he is, and even if he is as precious to us as the apple of our own eye, must be repulsed, pulled out, expelled, if he seeks to turn us aside from the faith and love of our God. That is why it is just that Christians invade the land you inhabit, for you blaspheme the name of Christ and alienate everyone you can from his worship. Now, wow. the, sultan, the sultan was so floored by this guy's courage. He, the sultan could have had him killed instantly. But the sultan was shocked watching it. This guy's by himself. And this guy's mm-hmm. standing up to me with boldness. Here's what the sultan told St. Francis after. This is the way the conversation ended. He said this, quote, Francis, pray for me that God may deign to reveal to me that law and faith which is most pleasing to him. Close quote. Mm. So, so sounds to me like Francis gave him some doubt, Jess, right then and there. Like, what if he's right? You know, this guy, this, this Muslim leader showed uh, at least, you know, uh, uh, more, uh, you know, the ability to at least consider that he could be wrong and that he might look to God, you know, to confirm and understand that which is most pleasing to God. What a powerful uh, thing, just that you just shared a, a story about Frank, uh, the courage of St. Francis. Obviously, you know. Paulo, well, let, me, let, me is... let me mention something real quick. St. Francis of Assisi today would mm-hmm. not be building three churches in, in, in the Dubai, in Abu Dhabi. <laughs> you know, Jess, I was going to say that. He was all about. This yeah. is Jesus Christ. You yeah. must believe in him to be saved. Yeah. He would not be well, having this ecumenical form in Abu Dhabi. Well, well, this is exactly why uh, some of the church fathers around Vatican II saw that this idea of this new type of ecumenism was not was not consistent with what the church and with the fathers and with the saints and with the doctors have taught for thousands of years. Uh, listen. The Catholic Church is uh, the door. It is the ark. It is the way to Jesus Christ. Period. Yeah. Okay. You can. There, there's no way to um, to soft shoe that, Jess. No. Nope, no. Nope. Um, some and sometimes the truth is offensive to people, but that's okay because I always say if the truth offends you, you need to be offended. There's only one truth. There's only one God. Yeah. Amen. And this, and this God has a son, by the way, <clears throat> it says in the book of Proverbs chapter 30, uh, the, 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 uh, the writer of the book of Proverbs says, uh, what is God's name and what is his son's name if you know it? <laughs> Very interesting. I love that. 
Yeah, I love that. That's exactly right. And so, uh, as Jesus said, the volume of the books is written of me. He, you know, he told the, the Pharisees, you know, you search the scriptures and thinking that in them you will find life and it is them that testify of me. Jesus Christ, uh, or, or like St. Augustine, he said that you know, the New Testament is hidden in the old and the old is revealed in the new. Yes. You see, uh, 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 we have such a rich... Uh, uh, we, you know, we have the word of God, that sacred font to, to draw from, and yet we have the sacred traditions of the church and Catholics stand firm in the, the, the uh, perennial teachings of the faith because they will never change. No, they can't change. It's impossible because mm -mm. God doesn't change. Yep. Let me give you another doctor of the church that talked about Islam, St. Teresa of Avila, Carmelite nun back in the Middle Ages. She says, God is offended and how little esteemed in this world, and by considering how many souls are lost, both of heretics and Muslims. That's page 108. So St. Teresa of Avila said something that would uh, many uh, modernists at Vatican II would not, allow, would not like what she said. She said that many souls are lost, uh, she said that about a thousand years ago, both heretics and Muslims, she said. This is a doctor yes. of the church, St. Teresa of Avila, one of the 38 doctors of the church. Here's another doctor of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas on Islam. He said this on chapter 3 of his uh, uh, Summa Contra Gentilis. He says this, he says, For since the Muslims are carnal, they are incapable of grasping anything except what pertains to flesh and blood. Close quote, St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah, uh, yeah, and let me put that in, in terms we can understand. Yeah. The natural man, the carnal man, does not receive the things of God, nor can he. That is to say, he does not have the ability to. He cannot, for they are spiritually discerned, spiritually understood. The spiritual man is the one that receives the things of God because he can only understand them uh by virtue of the Holy Spirit of God. That's exactly what uh, you just broke down, exactly what St. Thomas Aquinas said. Muslims are carnal. Yep. It's a carnal religion. It produces carnal men. They can't understand the things of the Holy Spirit. That's why for them, it's very hard for them because of their intellectual blindness and their uh, proclivity towards the flesh. It's hard for them to grasp the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from divine grace. Yes, and we live in a day, folks, where, you know, you see this so-called so Abrahamic center being erected somewhere out there in uh, Dubois or wherever it's at. You know, Abu Dhabi, where, Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Abu Dhabi, yeah. Uh, where, you know, you have a, a, a mosque uh, uh, and uh, a, a Christian Catholic church and um, a Jewish synagogue all together in one building. And I call that Frankenstein. I call that, you know, that's 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 like Dr. Frankenstein when he took uh, uh, different pieces of dead people and he and he and he, and he grafted them together again. Uh, uh, the, the, the true Catholic Church is not a religion among other religions. The true Catholic Church is the body of Christ. Yes. Uh, amen. And there's a huge difference. <laughs> Let me just uh, wrap up here. This uh, the stations of the cross. Let me make some parting comments here. After the Crusades, the Crusades were from 1096 to 1270 AD. Uh, the Muslims, they took over the Holy Land through battle, through war. They captured the Holy Land and they forbade Catholics from walking the Stations of the Cross. And so many people 
kept the practice of walking in Jesus' footsteps by making special markers in their towns. And that this became so popular in Europe during the Middle Ages that in the 18th century, Pope Clement Twelfth he decided that the number of stations would be fixed at 14 based on the gospel accounts of, of Jesus' crucifixion and death. And so as a result, he ordered for the churches around the world uh, to, to feature the 14 stations of the cross inside the walls for the purposes of prayer and meditation to the faithful, especially during Lent. And so the stations of the cross is a prayerful reminder of the supreme sacrifice that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, <clears throat> voluntarily went to pay, he Amen. went through to pray for the penalty of our sins. Uh, yes. And by the way, Saint Saint um, uh, the Emperor Saint Constantine's mother, Saint Helena, back in the fourth century, she found a piece of the true cross, and uh, that piece of the true cross is in the Vatican today. Also, another point of interest is that according to sacred tradition, uh, Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus Christ on Wednesday. That's why we put ashes on our forehead on Wednesday in uh, in reparation for the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. Paul? Yeah. Uh, yes, this is all good stuff, and it, yeah. it's just a, a, a reminder of why I am Catholic. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, just the, uh, you know, eternal Rome. Uh, and I and I do like that terminology, you know, is never going to change because God is immutable. God cannot change, nor can his truth change. And this is how you can know uh, the difference between truth and error. You just look at what the church has taught. Uh, there's, it is, there are volumes of information out there, what the doctors of the church have taught, what the saints have taught, what every Pope has endorsed. And, you know, and now we come into a time where we live just where sacred scripture tells us that in latter times, men will not endure sound teaching. We have apparitions of our lady saying that, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, that, uh, you know, there, there will be a fall, there will be a falling away of the faith. Jess, it's here. It's right now. Right. And we just have to hold on to what uh, we know to be the truth. Go ahead, just take and us it, home. And as Catholics, we know that right now we are walking the stations of the cross, every single one of us. We are walking uh, to Calvary. The church yep. is going undergoing her passion right now. And yes. remember this, uh, life is pretty simple. It, it's like a credit card. You can swipe and swipe, but at the very end, somebody has to pay the bill. And think about this, that when you die, are you going to have enough capital to pay your bill? Not at all. The mm -hmm. only one that can pay your bill is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has yes. paid your bill on Calvary yes. through his yes. precious blood. Ask yes. him every day, Lord, Lord, pay my sin debt. Wipe my slate clean. I'm a wretched sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Think about this 2000 years ago. When you look at your crucifix at your house with a crown of thorns on his head, and with the cross of wood on his back, Jesus had you on his mind. You were on his mind. That's a wrap. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands-on apologetics. We'll see you next time. Same Christ time, same Christ channel. God bless you. Keep the faith and be holy or die trying.